0: My name is Andrew Bustamante, and this is Everyday Espionage. Ah. 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 If you've never experienced a tribal culture, it's something very different than what we're used to in most civilized areas. In the United States, in the West, in Europe, we have what's known as society, a civilized society of people who share a common religion, or a common set of laws, or a common socioeconomic framework. But in huge tracts of the Middle East, in Africa, uh, and even in some remote parts in the West and in Asia, we have tribal cultures that predominantly control an area. And one of those areas is Pakistan. Pakistan is a largely tribal country, a country with huge cities, but also a country with massive areas that are maintained by tribes that have been there for thousands of years. I was recently discussing with a friend of mine an ancient story about a tribal blood feud that exists in Pakistan. And the story may not be accurate, but it doesn't matter, because the blood feud that it spawned is very much still alive and well. For those of you who don't know what a blood feud is, a blood feud is a family feud where families are actively killing members of other families. And the reason that that's so significant in a tribal culture is because entire tribes share family names. So in the United States, that would be the equivalent of every Jones being at war with every Smith every Gonzales being at war with every Rodriguez. If you think about everyone under one family name swearing themselves to kill every member of another family name, then you start to get an idea of what a blood feud looks like. And these are very interesting to me because when blood feuds exist, they exist because of history. They exist because of what happened in the past. Oftentimes, what happened so far back in the past that nobody knows if the story is even true. In Pakistan, the story goes like this. One tribe was managed by a tribal elder. A second tribe was overseen by a second tribal elder. And these two tribes lived at peace with each other in neighboring lands. The oldest son of the first tribe was looking for a bride, and the father decided that he would ask for the oldest daughter from the second tribe, with the idea being that the two tribes would come together under marriage, and both of their lands would be combined and would make a larger tribe. When the oldest son of one tribe marries the daughter of another tribe, the family name of the son's tribe becomes the overarching name of the new tribe. The second tribe elder didn't want that to happen. He didn't want to give up his tribe to his neighbor, so he rejected the request from the tribal elder to let his son marry the daughter. Outraged, the elder son from the first tribe decided that he was going to do something to get revenge against the elder from the second tribe. Nobody wanted to cause a war, nobody wanted to cause a fight, so in a Prank, the eldest son, cut the tail off of the horse belonging to the elder of the second tribe. Back in ancient days, throughout Europe, throughout the Middle East, throughout uh, parts of Asia, horses were seen as a symbol of strength, a symbol of masculinity, a symbol of power. A soldier on a steed or an elder on a steed was one of those images that brought people comfort and confidence in their leader. By cutting the tail off of a horse, what you're doing is emasculating or denigrating the person who rides on that horse. That was the intention of the elder son from the first tribe, to carry out a prank or to commit some sort of low-level violation to show his displeasure at the elder from the second tribe. That was the intent, but that was not, in fact, the outcome. You see, when the second tribal elder found his prized horse missing a tail, he decided that he needed to take revenge for the offense against him. So he sent one of his nephews to go to the first camp and kill the horse belonging to the first son of the first tribe. What was supposed to be a prank cutting off a horse's tail Became an aggressive act where they killed the oldest son's horse. Now you can see where this is going to go, right? Because the oldest son now has to take revenge again. So he goes back and kills the horse belonging to the tribal elder. And someone comes back to the first tribe and kills another horse. And back and forth they go, killing horses and then killing sheep until ultimately they start to kill people. And once one tribe killed someone from the other tribe, the blood feud began. And these two tribes living next to each other in tribal Pakistan thousands of years ago, to this day continue to swear an oath to kill anyone from the other tribe. It is 2019 and this blood feud continues in tribal Pakistan, where two Complete strangers might meet at a well, or they might meet in a market, or they might meet anywhere at any time. And when they introduce each other, if their family name is announced, they will attempt to kill that person on the spot. This is the power of an ancient blood feud. This is what life is like in tribal parts of our world. And it's easy to hear that and think that it's uncivilized, it's easy to hear that and think that it's ridiculous that one tribe would kill another tribe just because of their name. Even though they've never had any encounter of their own, they've never had a firsthand experience, that based on some historic legend, it's easy for us to write that off and think that it's ridiculous. But we actually see it every day, even in our civilized society. We just don't call it A tribal blood feud. We don't kill one another. Instead, what we do is ridicule and humiliate and attack each other in social media, in words, in attitudes. We take opportunities away from people that disagree with us or who see a different perspective than our own. And instead of it being based in names, what it's based on is beliefs. We believe that our political party is right and someone from a different political party is wrong. Wrong to the point where we believe that they are willfully ignorant or actively hostile towards our own political party. We do the same thing with news sources. Some of us are avid believers in Fox News, some of us are avid believers in CNN, and very few of us are willing to sit back and listen to the news from both sources. You have people who are strongly supportive of the NRA, people who are aggressive towards the NRA. You have people who believe strongly in climate change. You have people who don't believe in climate change. And nobody bothers to try to close the gap. Nobody bothers to try to listen or accept one another because we're too busy fighting. When you add religion into the mix, it only gets worse. It gets so bad that culturally we talk about how you should simply not talk about politics, sex, or religion. Because we know we might start a fight. Even today, even in 2019, we are not that different from tribal Pakistan unwilling to listen to someone else's perspective, unwilling to accept someone else simply because of a label that they carry with them. At CIA, we are trained to focus first and foremost on information and recognize that information on its own can have value, even though the source of that information may not be someone of value. As an example, someone who is a terrorist is not someone that we value, but the information that that person carries is absolutely something that we value. We don't have to agree with a spy from a foreign country, but if that spy is willing to share information with us that keeps our people safe, that information is of value. Imagine what life would look like. If intelligence officers simply refused to listen to the information someone else had to give because they disagreed with them on a moral level. We are taught at CIA to suspend moral judgment and to instead evaluate the information itself. We oftentimes have to deal with sitting across the table from someone who disgusts us, someone who is a corrupt politician, someone who is a child molester, someone who is a weapons dealer, someone who is recruiting child soldiers. Sometimes the worst people are the people who have access to the most important information. And if you ever intend for them to share that information with you, you have to be willing to sit down and listen. You have to be able to control your reactions so that you don't immediately act in a hostile way, so that you don't shut them down, so that you don't push them away. You have to give them the acknowledgement that they are human beings too you don't have to agree with them, but you have to listen to them. You have to listen to what they have to say. Even if 95% of what they say is worthless drivel, if that last 5% can save a life, you have to listen. All of the work, all of the risk, all of the danger is worth it for that last 5%. And I am shocked At how often I hear feedback from people that they are unwilling to read a newspaper article. They will change a channel simply because it's playing a news source that backs a different political party. That is an example of us leaving information on the table. Us rejecting possible valuable information because of a family name, because of an affiliation that we disagree with. Just like those tribal families in Pakistan every day have to choose whether or not they will continue to fight the same blood feud, or whether they are willing to look past history and accept a new modern reality, we have to ask ourselves the same question. Will we choose to be the culmination of our past experiences, or are we willing to evolve by accepting new experiences? By recognizing that each new piece of information is of value, that we can suspend moral judgment until after we have the opportunity to gain as much knowledge as possible and make our own independent assessment from that knowledge. Nobody has to agree with someone from a different faith. Nobody has to agree with somebody from a different political party. I'm not saying anyone has to agree with anyone, but what I am saying is that if you want to gain a tactical advantage over anyone else around you, all you have to do is stop and listen when everyone else is choosing to push through, ignore, and talk over. That's how spies do it. That's how spies continue to keep us safe. Because we suspend our moral judgment, we stop and we listen and we recognize that you never know where the next piece of information might come from. You never know which person, which scumbag, which dirtbag, which evildoer might have the smallest piece of information that can keep an entire city safe. You have to listen. That opportunity is worth the discomfort of listening to someone that you might disagree with. It's worth sitting across the table from somebody who does not share your beliefs. It's worth risking your life so that you can save the lives of others. Tribal blood feuds are something that we can laugh at until we realize that we are still in tribes of our own, feuding on our own. Our civilization might look different than tribal Pakistan. We might live in first world accommodations and we might have access to clean water and clean food. But in many ways, our mentality as human beings is the same no matter what our environment is. And if you want to get past the limitations of being trapped by tribal thinking, you have to be willing to open your mind to another tribe's point of view. Some of the most powerful secrets don't exist because someone is trying to hide them, they exist because people are not willing to listen to them. And that is Everyday Espionage. Everyday Espionage is dedicated to one thing, educating everyday people. I know that not everybody will listen, but those who listen will learn. If you learned something new today, click subscribe, review, and share the podcast with a friend. I have so much more to share with you. Find me on social media at Everyday Spy or on my website, www.everydayspy.com. And if you are up for a special challenge, check out Operation Real Time and let me take you on an authentic spy training mission. Above all else, remember that knowledge is freedom.